0: We can be seated. Let's turn to Psalm 145. We'll read just the first six verses of this psalm, but before I read that, uh, I... Desire to try to speak to you tonight on the greatness of God, and uh, I say try because I know i 'll fail but um, i in in order to do that i 'm going to quote uh, a number of people that are more more articulate than I am, um, but no one can do justice to the subject so um, I, I, I'll start before we even read the psalm here. Let me just start by reading a quote from Tozer. He says, "To be right, we must think worthily of God. It is morally imperative that we purge from our minds all ignoble concepts of deity, of the deity, and let him be the God in our minds that He is in the universe." In other words, get a real concept of who God is. The Christian religion has to do with God and man, but its focal point is God, not man. Man's only claim to importance is that he was created in the divine image. In himself, he's nothing. So, we want to talk about the greatness. and Just think about the subject here a little bit. The greatness of God. So let's uh, look at Psalm 145, and we'll just read the first six verses. I will extol Thee, my God, O King, I will bless Thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless Thee, and I will praise Thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of thy majesty and on thy wonderful works I will meditate and men will speak of the power of thine awesome acts and I will tell of thy greatness. So he mentions God's greatness specifically twice there. And in one place he says God's greatness is unsearchable, but then he says, but I'm going to tell about it anyway. So that's what I'm trying to do it's unsearchable we're not going to do justice to it but I want to tell about it as best the -hmm. Lord enables here this evening Um, let me here's another quote I'll do a lot of quoting tonight and this one uh, I just saw today and I thought it was quite a statement this is from Francis Schaeffer he says I am more sure of God's existence than I am of my own I'm more sure of God's existence than I am of my own. And you see, the reason that fits in here is because part of God's greatness is just the fact that nothing makes sense without Him. Our lives don't, don't make sense. Nothing makes sense without Him. We're totally dependent on God. And that's, that speaks to us right there of His greatness. Uh, we're nothing, I mean really nothing, without Him. Nothing makes sense without him. Now I thought, well, I was thinking about this statement of Schaefer, and I thought, well, I probably wouldn't say it quite, quite that way, but I can say this: that I am as sure of God's existence as I am of my own. Schaefer said he was more sure of God's existence than he was of his own, and uh, maybe that's, maybe that's better. I don't know if it was uh, kind of hyperbole to bring the point home, but I can say this uh, from my standpoint, from my own uh, experience of reality and life. uh, I'm as sure of God's existence as I am of my own. Uh, I think Schaefer was emphasizing that the ground of our existence is in God. If God didn't exist, We wouldn't exist. Uh, Tozer again, uh, a quote from Tozer. He says, Man is a created being, a derived and contingent self, who of himself possesses nothing, but is dependent each moment of his existence upon the one who created him after his own likeness. The fact of God is necessary to the fact of man. Think God away, and man has no ground of existence. Now, Paul just put it this way, for from him and through him and to him are all things. That, that's a good summary of the greatness of God. From him and through him and to him are all things, everything. Uh, so this I can say just uh, as a, a clear reality to me. Human life is possible only because the triune God lives. Human life makes sense only because the triune God has made us in his image and given us a revelation about what reality really is. Or if you want to just distill that down to the simplest way I think of saying it, as simple as possible... If life has meaning, God is. If life has meaning, God is. Now, the other two alternatives to that is if everything came from nothing, nothing matters. That's the first one. If everything came from nothing, nothing matters. The second one is if everything, uh, if matter is all there is, if matter is the uh, ultimate reality, nothing matters there either you got to think about these things what we're saying is the only way to make sense out of life is the, is the reality of God if you start with nothing which some people are trying to do today and say all everything came from nothing well I can tell you for sure nothing matters then if you start with matter say that matter energy has always been here if you start there you know what you end up with nothing matters there either you see that? Well, if there is any true meaning to life, God exists. If not, the discussion's over. There's nothing to talk about, there's nothing to say, because everything is meaningless. Uh, Silence or total absurdity is about the is what you're left with Um, morals are meaningful because there's a moral God he's moral love is real because God is love knowledge is possible because God is a God of all knowledge and he's told us some things what I'm trying to get at here is part of the greatness of god is just that nothing makes any sense without him and he's he is the the ground of reality for everything because god has made us himself and he's and he's made himself known to us it's possible for us to know ourselves at least to some extent you wouldn't even know who you are you see without the reality of God uh, that's probably what Schaeffer was talking about when he said I'm more sure of God's existence than I am of my own if, if I start from myself and use only myself I can't get anywhere I have no basis for knowledge or morality or personality even I don't know who I am or If my very personhood is an illusion. If I start from myself. Because there's no self to start from if you start from yourself. Because the only reason you're a self is because you're made in the image of God. Thinking about that one, aren't you, Rebecca? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that's my introduction to this message on the greatness of God and what I plan to do here later on is just read a few verses related to the greatness of God and, um, but I, I, I wanted to preface that with just some thoughts um, sometimes it seems to me that we speak about God as if we had him all figured out and that I believe is a mistake We speak as if our statements about God came close to really defining and explaining Him. And that's just not the case. God is so much greater than what we know or what we can say concerning Him. Now, that doesn't mean we can't say anything right about Him or do not know anything right about Him. We can say some things about Him that are right because He's revealed certain things. That's why... Uh, He says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, let me just read it. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So you can understand and know God. What can you know about him? Well, he tells you some of the things that he's revealed to us that I am the Lord who exercises loving-kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So you can say some things about God. You can say that there's loving-kindness in God, and there's justice in God, and there's righteousness in God, and He exercises those things on the earth. On the other hand, you see, the Bible also says that His ways are past finding out. Now, how do you bring those together? We know that he exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. But often we cannot understand how he's doing that in the midst of the trials and tribulations and things that don't fit together in this life. We understand those things because he said, this is the way I am. And we see some of it, but in other areas we just we don't understand why things are the way they are. We just simply do not understand why he does some of the things that he does. But somehow, as Christians given us that have the scriptures, somehow we know that the answer lies in what God has done in Christ. We can always come back to that. Our understanding of reality and how things fit together is in Christ. Um, we're told that in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're going to understand anything rightly, it's going to have to be in Christ. And we're still, you know, it's, we go on trying to process what God has done in Christ and understand the reality around us every day in terms of what God has done in Christ. It's an ongoing thing. His thoughts and ways are higher than ours. That's what we're told in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as... The heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So right there he's saying, listen, my way of doing things is in a realm that's a lot higher than what you normally think and can understand. His thoughts, his ways are higher than ours. But again, we know if we're going to understand anything about God's ways, it's going to be if we understand who Christ is and what he's done because he's he's summing up we're told he's summing up all things in Christ he's summing up all things in Christ the way to understand anything is through Christ and what God has done in Christ and we also believe that in the ages to come we'll see much more of his infinite wisdom and what he has done for us in Christ I have to say that in In some ways, right now, I seem to understand less about God than I used to. Really, I feel like I understand less about God than I used to when I was a a, a young Christian. But I actually think I'm closer to Him because of it. Now, you have to think about that a little bit. But what I'm talking about is just the fact that I realize I don't know near as much as I thought I did. And uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, so I think I'm getting a little closer. (laughs) Uh, A lot of my simple answers don't seem quite as adequate as they used to. And part of that's because I've seen that things are more difficult and complex than I first realized. But I'm also seeing that the Bible recognizes that and uh, doesn't try to simplify things the way I'm prone to do. Well, one of the sections of Scripture that uh, I'd like us to look at is in Isaiah chapter 40. So let's turn to that. But before we do that, again, I just want to say that... uh, As we seek to understand God and understand His greatness, we just have to realize that even when we get a hold of something, He's far greater than what we've got a hold of. He's infinitely exalted, far above all human thought. Anything that you can imagine, the greatness of God is greater than that. Infinitely exalted above us and all else. He's the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Um, I read this quote uh, again this is in Tozer's book The Knowledge of the Holy but he quotes the poet Goethe I'm not sure how you say that anybody know how you say there's a German poet uh, G-O-E-T-H-E Goethe Goethe Goethe. Um, and he he wasn't a Christian uh, but he had some things to say that were right, and at least this is there's something right about what he's saying here. Because he was speaking about the use and abuse of God's name. And he says this. Um uh, oh. he says, People treat it, that is the divine name, people treat it as if that incomprehensible and most high being who is ever beyond the reach of thought were only their equal, otherwise they would not say the dear God, the good God. This expression becomes to them, especially to the clergy who have it daily in their mouths, a mere phrase, a barren name to which no thought whatsoever is attached. If they were impressed by His greatness, they would be dumb and through veneration unwilling to name, unwilling to name Him. Now, that's not quite true, but there's some truth to what he's saying. There should be such a sense of of reverence and awe and uh, respect and honor about speaking about God that it should not just roll off of our lips uh, without thought or veneration. Well, uh, let's just... The best thing we can do on the subject is to read the Bible. So let's uh, look at Isaiah chapter 40. And there's so many sections a person could pick out uh, related to the greatness of God. But uh, this is one of my favorites. So Isaiah chapter 40 and verse beginning with verse 12. We'll read down through 17 and then pick it up again at verse 21 to 28. Speaking of God, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding, and who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him in the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for burnt offerings. All the nations are nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. And then if you skip over to 21, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing and makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth but he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble to whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal says the, says the Holy One lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars the one who leads forth their host by number and calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might And the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable now just even that last phrase think about that you know what the word inscrutable means it means you don't understand it His understanding is ununderstandable is what that's you saying his understanding is inscrutable and yet we can know this God doesn't mean we understand everything about Him or even one-tenth of one percent about Him because He's infinite and we're finite and we're sinful and He's holy. <clears throat> Nevertheless, we can have a relationship with Him and that's what He goes on to say at the end of this uh, section in Isaiah 40. If we'll wait upon Him, we can gain new strength. Well, <clears throat> the greatness of God. What should, what should a section like this that we read here in Isaiah, uh, how should that affect us? How should we respond to those type of things? Well, <clears throat> there's probably many ways, but I'm going to name just a few that come to mind. It should humble us. It should put us in our place. That's what humility is, is being put in your right place. You're a creature. God's the creator. Um, He is the self-existent one. You're the dependent one. So it should humble us, especially concerning our knowledge. Mm -hmm. We're prone to be proud of our knowledge. But the fact is, how little do we know compared to the vastness of God's understanding? His understanding is inscrutable. We know something, but we don't know very much. And the only thing we do know is because he's told us. Thomas Edison, who, you know, doesn't really fit in much of a talk about Christian things, but I thought the quote fit because he said, we do not know a millionth part of 1% about anything. And here is one of the great inventors of all time. He says, we don't know a millionth part of 1% about anything. And that's probably an exaggeration when the the truth is known. If we're talking about God, infinite God. Paul says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. So, it should humble us. And there should be, it should be an incentive for confession, getting real with God, because you're not going to hide anything from him. He sees everything. He knows everything. You can't conceal anything from him. Uh, What's unclear to us is perfectly clear to God what you can hide from somebody else or even sometimes you fool yourself you're not fooling God at all so it should be an incentive there there's no secrets and no secret places with God Uh, so it should be an incentive just to be real with God because you're not going to you're not fooling anybody but yourself third it's uh These type of things that we're reading about here should give us a confidence and an assurance uh, as believers. See, if he knows everything, then he knows us perfectly. And that means he knows the worst about us and he still loves us. As one person said, the one who knows us best loves us most. Oh, and again, I wanted to read from A.W. Tozer here. He says, To us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us in the gospel, how unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to ambush us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us. Since he knows us utterly, since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. He knew everything about us before he even called us. Uh, there's not going to be any area of hidden sin that surprises him. And he's not going to, you know, say, Boy, I made a mistake by choosing that guy uh, now that I've found this out. It's not that way. He knows our deepest needs and our wants, our deepest wants and needs before we do and better than we do. There's no danger of being overlooked because he doesn't miss anything. That's what they, that was part of the reason uh, uh, for what he was saying there in uh, Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. You know, he's not, he's not going to do me right. He's not watching all this stuff that's going on. Yeah, he's watching everything. He knows exactly what's going on. <clears throat> and... He's able to pay the same attention to millions of people as if there was only one person. It's all, it's not a problem for him. Um, when it talks about, some a few years ago, I was talking with Renee about these verses of him naming all the stars. Um, it says, uh, the one who leads forth their host by number and calls them all by name. And, he said something like, I don't know why he'd take the time to do that. But it didn't take God any time to name all the stars. The Instantaneous naming of every, all those billions and billions and billions of stars. Just like that. It's done. So uh, the point is he can pay attention to each one of us individually even though he's taking care of millions of people. Working, watching over his children around the world uh, well so it should give us confidence as believers and then lastly it, these truths especially concerning God's greatness the unsearchableness of his greatness should draw us to worship what an amazing and awesome and incomprehensible and indescribable God we have who counts the number of the stars, gives them names, whose understanding is inscrutable, and yet, with all that, he cares about us individually. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired, they will walk and not become weary." He, He's looking after us. So, especially as we think of what He's done for us in Christ, it should draw forth worship that this One who is so great would send His Son for you and I, uh, helpless, hopeless people in need of a Savior. Well, wow. these are just a few thoughts related to the greatness of God.